friends, welcome to log on at 11 Spurgeon Baptist Church's online presence during this current COVID season. Uh, we're going to follow what has become our regular pattern for one of these services. We're just going to use a little liturgy to hold everything together. If you've got a, a print copy in front of you, everything in bold type is what we say together. Everything in light type, I'll say on my own. If you're following on the screen, everything in yellow type is what we say together. So let's begin. In the beginning, before time, before people, before the world began, God was. Here and now, among us, beside us, enlisting the people of the earth for the purposes of heaven, God is. In the future, when we will have turned to dust and all we know has found its fulfilment, God will be. Let us pray. Loving God, you are faithful, just and forgiving. Help us now to grasp the greatness of your love. Where we have failed to love and loved to hurt, forgive us and heal us. Where we have scorned difference and have been indifferent to those in need, forgive us and heal us. Where we have spoken harsh words to others and have been quick to take offence ourselves, forgive us and heal us. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he who is faithful and just will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen. Hey everyone, good morning. So you'd have just watched the second episode of our Following Jesus series. And in that video, Jesus does something a little bit odd. Uh, he associates himself with all these people who are considered to be sinners, considered to be, uh, I'm reading from the New Living Translation in Matthew chapter 9, and the Pharisees refer to these people such as scum. Um, the Pharisees view Jesus as this potential uh, apostle or messiah who should be kind of this beacon of hope and light and all that is true and right and he is but they have this misunderstanding of what that might mean and uh, they believe that he shouldn't be associating himself with these disreputable people and Jesus goes ahead and does the exact opposite of that Jesus associates himself with those people he spends time with them he talks to them he sits and has dinner with them um, and this really surprises the Pharisees uh, and people are perplexed by it and don't understand why he might do that. And I just want to read a couple of bits from scripture to try and help us understand why is Jesus doing this? These people that are considered to be unworthy of his time. Why does he say these are the people I want to spend time with? Um, so I'm reading from Matthew chapter 9, uh, just verses 10, 11 and 12. Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? When Jesus heard this, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. 
And that line really got me thinking. I think he says that line in the video that we've just seen. And, and that line is really interesting. Healthy people don't need a doctor, but sick people do. Of course, when Matthew invites all these people over for dinner, none of them are really physically ill. What Jesus is saying is that actually by us falling against the mark, by us not hitting the line, by us sinning, by us falling away from the grace of God, we are all sick. And what Jesus is able to do is heal us. Through us accepting ourselves as sinful, through us accepting ourselves as imperfect, Jesus is able to say, come with me, follow me, I can heal you. And that's what he's doing in this story. That's what he's doing. He's spending time with these people to be able to say, I forgive you. Let's go again. I forgive you. Let's try harder. Don't worry. I forgive you. I love you. Let's be better together. That's what Jesus is saying here. And he's saying it's okay to show love when there's hate. In fact, it's really important that we should show love when there's hate. That's why he also says to be friends to our neighbours and to our enemies. Uh, Because we all fall short of that line. We are all sick and we all need to be healed. And through accepting Jesus, we're able to be healed and be loved by him and therefore show love to others in return. Hopefully you guys can have a little think about that this week and maybe think of some ideas around how can we do that in our lives particularly at the moment when we're not out so much. That's really tricky. But maybe when you're at school or if you're heading out to the shops or heading out to the office for work, how can we show love when there's hate? How can we show that we too are sick yet are healed by Christ? And we want to be able to share that story and share that love with others as well. How can we do that this week? Have a think about that. That would be wonderful. Uh, We look forward to seeing you all soon uh, when the time is right and you take care of yourselves. God bless. Thank you. Um, Our reading today is taken from Genesis chapter 32. I'm reading from the New Living Translation and it's titled Jacob Returns Home. As Jacob started on his way again, angels of God came to meet him. When Jacob saw them, he exclaimed, this is God's camp. So he named the place Mahanaim. Then Jacob sent messengers ahead to his brother Esau who was living in the region of Seir, in the land of Edom. He told them, Give this message to my master Esau. Humble greetings from your servant Jacob. Until now I have been living with Uncle Laban, and now I own cattle, donkeys, flocks of sheep and goats, and many servants, both men and women. I have sent these messengers to inform my lord of my coming, hoping that you will be friendly to me. After delivering the message, the messengers returned to Jacob and reported, We met your brother Esau, and he is already on his way to meet you, with an army of four hundred men. Jacob was terrified at the news. He divided his household, along with the flocks and herds and camels, into two groups. He thought, if Esau meets one group and attacks it, perhaps the other group can escape. Then Jacob prayed, O God of my grandfather Abraham, and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, you told me, return to your own land and to your relatives, and you promised me I will treat you kindly. 
I am not worthy of all the unfailing love and faithfulness you have shown to me, your servant. When I left home and crossed the Jordan River, I owned nothing except a walking stick. Now my household fills two large camps. O oh Lord, please rescue me from the hand of my brother Esau. I am afraid that he is coming to attack me, along with my wives and children. But you promised me, I will surely treat you kindly, and I will multiply your descendants until they become as numerous as the sands along the seashore. Too many to count. Jacob stayed where he was for the night. Then he selected these gifts from his possessions to present to his brother Esau. Two hundred female goats, twenty male goats, two hundred ewes, twenty rams, thirty female camels with their young, forty cows, ten bulls, twenty female donkeys and ten male donkeys. He divided these animals into herds and assigned each to different servants. Then he told his servants, Go ahead of me with the animals, but keep some distance between the herds. He gave these instructions to the men leading the first group. When my brother Esau meets you, he will ask, Whose servants are you? Where are you going? Who owns these animals? You must reply, They belong to your servant Jacob, but they are a gift for his master Esau. Look, he is coming right behind us. Jacob gave the same instructions to the second and third herdsmen, and to all who followed behind the herds. You must say the same things to Esau when you meet him, and be sure to say, Look, your servant Jacob is right behind us. Jacob thought, I will try to appease him by sending gifts ahead of me. When I see him in person, perhaps he will be friendly to me. So the gifts were sent on ahead, while Jacob himself spent the night in the camp. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Genesis chapter 32, uh, the continuing saga of Jacob. Jacob is now uh, commencing his journey home. He's tidied up the loose ends with Laban, and that's been a good thing. Now there's a lot to be done in preparation for his meeting with Esau, his elder brother. You will recall that they parted on less than friendly terms. Jacob had stolen Esau's blessing and birthright, and he had had to run away from home. His mother, Rebecca, had arranged for him to go to her brother Laban. Everything uh, ended in chaos and bitterness and disappointment, and with Esau breathing out murderous threats against his brother. How on earth is this going to be sorted out? Well, it has already been sorted out, but not on earth, not yet. It's been sorted out in heaven. Um, the first thing I note, as we've been reading uh, through this chapter, through these early verses, is God's presence uh, continues with Jacob. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> uh, God himself is at work in the life of Jacob. He, he's behind all the events that are unfolding. It's not always easy. Uh, for Jacob to see this, but he is aware of God's hand upon him. Ever since the Bethel episode early in his flight, uh, where he said, surely God was in this place and I had not 
realised it. And one of my friends thinks those are the saddest words in the Bible. Uh, and that may be so because the thing, God is everywhere and, you know, is with us and among us. And we don't always recognise it. It is sad when that happens. But anyway, um, back to the story. Uh, Jacob is aware that God's hand is upon him and that God is present with him. And we reflected a little bit on that last week in his conversation with Laban. He knows it, but this knowledge isn't always at the forefront of his mind. And I think that's similar for us, too. Uh, we know that Jesus has promised to be with us and we are aware that he keeps his promises. Yet there are times when we, too, let that slip to the back of the mind. Sometimes we become so focused uh, on our situation, on our circumstances, that we forget that Jesus is Emmanuel, is God with us, God present, even in those circumstances. Uh, I'm reminded, actually, very forcibly of that episode in 2 Kings chapter 6 when Elisha's servant opens the door of the place where they're staying uh, he's going to go and get some water and he looks up and he sees the armies of Aram the king of Aram arrayed uh, in front of him and he just says to Elisha my lord what are we going to do look at all of this and Elisha just stands there and says to God Lord, open his eyes. And as the servant's eyes are opened, he looks and he sees the armies of God encamped all around. Chariots of fire is where, you know, that the title of the film comes from this episode. Uh, chariots and horses and soldiers all, all ablaze. You know, the angelic host of God encamped all around. Those who are with us are more than those who are against us. And the servant sees it. Gosh. He was helped to see the reality of the situation. And sometimes I think we need to be helped to see the reality of the situation. Jacob faces an unknown situation. It's dangerous. It surely is. He's going to attempt a reconciliation, but he doesn't know what sort of reception he's going to get from his brother. God reminds him of his position in the scheme of things. As Jacob begins to move into this unknown future, he is met by the angelic host of God. Uh, and he calls the place two camps as a result of that. Not only were his own people camped there, but so were the angelic hosts of God. Uh, it is a timely reminder that God's protection is with him. Will we meet an angel of God? Will we see um, a handsome figure with a flaming sword? Who knows? Uh, you may think unlikely. Well, it, it may or may not happen. Who knows? But, but you know, the, the angels of God, messengers of God come in all shapes and sizes. Don't, don't think it's got to be like this or like this. It could be, well, it could be a conversation with a friend. It could be, you know, something that someone says to you that encourages you and helps you to gain a new perspective on your situation. It could be something that you read in the Bible. You know, you as you spend time from day to day or week to week, however, whatever your pattern is, 
uh, in God's word, maybe he will speak to you through that. Um, maybe it will be a vision or a dream. Maybe it will be an email or a card or a note or a letter from someone just offering you uh, encouragement or offering you direction. Who knows what it may be? It could be any one of those things. But at the time we need it most, God will encourage us. God will remind us of his presence uh, and protection. Uh, there's also a plan here. Jacob is a man with a plan. Uh, he sets about planning for the immediate future. He sends messengers in the first instance. Go and find my brother. Tell him I'm your, your servant, Jacob. And notice the wording that he uses. He's abasing himself. Uh, your servant, Jacob, is on his way back. He's got flocks. He's got herds. He's got family. Uh, he's got wealth of all sorts. And now, this is not boasting. Uh, this this is a message of reassurance for Esau from Jacob. What Jacob is saying is, I don't need anything from you. I don't want anything from you. I'm not coming to take anything away from you. I don't need anything. I've got enough. I've prospered in the last 20 years, in the 20 years that we've been apart. Uh, I have prospered and I'm, I'm, coming, I'm coming home and I don't want anything from you except that we be reconciled. And the message comes back. We saw Esau and he's coming with 400 men. Oh, not quite what we had hoped for or anticipated. So Jacob continues to plan to meet this contingency. Right, well, split everything into two groups. Uh, if he chooses to fight one, maybe the second group uh, will get away. And then he further develops the plan and he selects uh, a number of goats and ewes and donkeys and cows and rams and camels. And you know, he just looks at everything he's got. He says, right, we'll have a group and we'll have a small portion there and a small portion there, and another portion there and another. Right. And you'll look after that. You'll look after that. You'll look after that. And off you go. And if you meet Esau, you know, and he says to you, uh, what is all this? Who are you? Where are you from? What's going on? You say to him, we are from Jacob, your servant. And here is a gift for you from him. He's coming along behind us. Uh, and the idea behind this is that Esau's heart might be softened so that when they meet, his anger will have been turned if He's still angry. And why would he not be? And it's a good plan. It's a really good plan. Um, some Christians believe that you shouldn't plan, you know, uh, that you, you might somehow stifle the work of the spirit, uh, quench the spirit, that you, you'll stop spontaneity somehow. I don't happen to hold that view. I think our God is a God of order. And I think he is a God who plans for the future. I believe that he's uh, got a plan for my life uh, and that's why I trust him. And that's why I've done most of the things that I've done. In fact, all of the things that I've done in my working life from the moment he called me. In fact, from the time I was 17, when I first heard him uh, say to me, your sins are forgiven. Uh, you're a new creation now. And I willingly and joyfully and gladly 
embrace that new path. And he led me to ordination, training and ordination, and then into, you know, the two churches uh, that I was pastor at, and then into the army, uh, and an amazing time in the army, and now here to this place. I'm, I've only ever done the things I've done because God has had a plan and I've sort of followed through the plan. Interestingly, he's never shown me all of the plan. Uh, he, he never showed me at the beginning, you know, one day you'll go into the army. He never showed me, you know, one day you'll end up in Bletchley. He never, that was way, way in the future. What he did show me was, you know, here's a step to be taken. Uh, I'm, I am there already. Will you come with me? Um, like Abraham, I'll, will you come to a place that I'll show you? And it's only in the times when I've said yes that things have actually gone well and prospered. You you can say no, of course you can say no, um, but things things don't always go as well as they might. I mean, I don't think God ever takes His presence away from you, but sometimes He asks you to exercise faith in a particular way, and you either will or you won't. If you will, amazing things happen. If you won't. They won't. It is as simple as that. Um, but God is a God who plans. I th and I think the Bible shows us that quite clearly as well. Jesus offers a mission strategy just before he ascends to his father. Um, you may not have realised that, but he does. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So where you are located now, in, in the place where you live now, uh, then in the locality where you are, and then in the country, and then right across the borders, right out into the world. So for us, you know, you will be my witnesses in Watereaton, Bletchley, Milton Keynes, Buckinghamshire, and beyond. And that's what we're called to be and to do. The Apostle Paul shows us in his many letters to the churches that God has a plan, a plan for humanity. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us to be adopted as his children through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. God does have a plan. Uh, history is unfolding towards an inevitable end, and that will be the return of the Lord Jesus to the earth. That is the plan in a nutshell. You know, it, it stretches from creation all the way through to the end of all of this and the renewing of it with the return of the Lord. That's the plan, you know, and the plan of salvation for us as individuals is to recognise that we're sinners, to repent, to believe in Jesus to receive the new life that he has gained for us through his death and resurrection, to be baptised in his name, to receive the Spirit, and to be his witnesses where we live now, in the locality, uh, wider area, and to the ends of the earth. It's not wrong to plan in accordance with God's will. It's only wrong when our plans leave God out. Um, so presence, plan, and there's a prayer in this little passage as well. 
Not only does the news that Esau is approaching with 400 men cause Jacob to devise a plan, it also causes him to pray. And we see this prayer in the text that we read earlier. Uh, It's quite a stylized prayer, but it's real nonetheless. Uh, And it it shows a number of elements. Um, Jacob calls on God and he puts himself in the line of promise. You know, the God of Abraham, Isaac and now Jacob. And indeed, uh, when God refers to himself to future generations, he very often will say, I am the God of your fathers. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. So Jacob is reminding God that he's acting because of God's word to him, because of God's promise to him. In fact, in the best tradition of his grandfather, Abraham, God has made promises to each succeeding generation. He'd made promises to Jacob and Jacob is wanting to hold God to his promise. He's just reminding him, this is what you said to me. This is what you said you would do for me. Uh, And I am doing what you've asked me to do precisely because of your promise to me. So he's reminding him about the promise. Uh, And second thing, uh, in the prayer, Jacob affirms God's undeserved goodness towards him, his grace over him, uh, his grace towards him over the past 20 years. He crossed the Jordan with nothing. He returns with family and flocks, uh, which he has already acknowledged as having come in God's providence. And we saw that last week. He was poor and desperate. He was a fugitive. Now he's rich and powerful and resourceful. Uh, And since his meeting with Laban, he's not a fugitive anymore. There's been a massive reversal of fortunes. uh, And yet Jacob is deferential in his address to God. And why should he not be? Uh, He knows his position in relation to God. He recognises God's character and again reminds God of his character. um, Full of kindness and faithfulness. This is our God. This is the God we serve. This is the God who has been revealed to us in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. Uh, Jacob also appeals to God's mercy now in this present situation. In verse 11, he says uh, that he wants to be saved. He wants to be delivered. Save me, deliver me from this situation. And he closes the prayer by reminding himself of what God has said to him. This is always a good thing to do. Good thing for Jacob. Good thing for us, too. Uh, And I want you to notice, friends, this is not a a matter of plan first and then pray later. The two actually go together and they work together harmoniously. Um, The two are complementary. They're in partnership. Very often, too often, I would say, in church life, uh, we have made plans and then asked God to bless them. Um, This is to get the cart before the horse Uh, and it's very often how our plans become opposed to God's will because our plans are good plans usually otherwise we wouldn't be pursuing them. Um, It was the reason, it is the reason why we called a day of prayer and fasting a couple of weeks ago Uh, and I, I hope you're still thinking and praying and reflecting on your experiences during that day and if God has said anything to you or has given you a glimmer of what the future might look like I would encourage you to just jot that down on a piece of paper email whatever um, send it to Leslie or to me just so that we can start to gauge uh, a broad direction of travel 
Um, I'm very keen that we should have as much uh, information from all of you as possible, um, particularly if you're members, but even if you're not. <laughs> if you regularly attend church or you've been uh, engaging with us over this past year or so online, I'm really interested to know what God is saying to you about the future for our church uh, and how we go forward. Uh, as we start to emerge from lockdown and into the future. Um, so the key is to be doing the praying and the planning together, uh, to seek God's face in prayer, um, to see a little, as I was saying earlier, God very rarely shows you all of it, but he'll show you a bit. And, you know, how do we get from where we are now to where we think God wants us to be? Plan that bit, do that bit, continue to pray. God will reveal a bit more bit more planning. Uh, that's the way it works. <clears throat> change the plan. If we need to change the plan, that's fine. Uh, you know, we're, we're open to hear, um, and hear from God and hear from you. So let's see where we end up. I think this is a great adventure and I think God has got good things for us. But it's just a matter of, you know, working out what steps to take how we, and how we see that future unfold in, in how we see that future unfold. Prayer and planning go hand in hand. And uh, I think that's the key to success. Um, praying and planning join together. Jacob knows the presence of God. Uh, just in summary, he knows the presence of God through the angelic host being camped uh, with him. He plans and prays for the future on the basis of God's promise. And again, that's what we should do. Uh, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Jeremiah 29, that was the little piece in the new sheet um, in that week of uh, prayer and fasting. That, that has been a significant verse for me throughout my ministry. I think it's significant now for us. Um, so on the base of God's promise, you know, we, we should plan for the future. Um, more so for us, actually, because we've seen we've seen the fulfilment of much of the plan in Christ Jesus. We we know the plan of salvation now. We've seen God's grace and mercy in Jesus. So we know. We have that assurance that God is with us, you know, Emmanuel, we've, we've got so much more uh, than Jacob had at this stage. Jacob takes the risk. Jacob acknowledges the presence of God. He plans for the future. He prays. And that's really, friends, what we should be doing. Amen. Let us pray. From the rising of the sun to the place where it sets, the name of the Lord is to be praised. As the morning light dawns on your renewed mercy towards us, awaken our souls to wonder our ears to your voice and our eyes to your presence, indeed our whole selves to your lavish grace. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Lead us along the way today towards Jesus. Bless us with patience for those who frustrate us, humility towards those who surround us, empathy with those who are hurt, energy to run the whole race, peace over anxiety, 
wisdom for decisions and courage to walk the narrow road that leads to life. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We pray for all uh, those who are engaged with schools and education, for pupils, parents and staff back at school this week and adjusting to different routines and ways of working. We ask for compassion for one another as we have different reactions to the easing of the lockdown. Some will be eager to be out and about again, mixing with others, and some will be very hesitant or even anxious and fearful about doing so. We pray for all those who are ill, especially those in hospital that can't be visited by loved ones and for those loved ones who can't go in to see them. We pray for God's peace and comforting presence to be real for all those folk who are struggling with their mental health uh, or emotional well-being. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We focus particularly, Lord, on those who are unwell and concerned for loved ones in this pandemic season. We pray for those who are anxious or depressed, uh, for those who are vulnerable because of underlying conditions, for those watching their entire income stream dry up, for those who have no choice but to go out to work, and for those who are afraid to be at home, for those who are more lonely than they've ever been, for those who are bereaved and grieving. God, be their healer, comfort and protection. Be their strength shield and provision. Be their security, safety and close companion. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Lord, raise us up, raise your church up to be your well-washed hands and your faithful feet, to be present in the pain, to respond with love in action, if even at a safe distance. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. On this Mothering Sunday, Heavenly Father, we rejoice with thanks for all those who have mothered us in our lives, in a world that is broken and indeed in desperate need of your motherly love. Please use us to aid others as you do us in providing comfort, nurture, protection and support. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We pray for all those who suffer today in mind, body or spirit. We particularly pray for those who have lost a motherly presence and for those who have never known a mother's love. May they find consolation in you, the one in whom every family on earth finds its home. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We ask that you might grow us as carers to those who need us, so that we might celebrate your goodness together, even through our own brokenness. May your love fill our hearts, may your love fill our homes, 
And may the grace of the Holy Spirit bind us together in love in all of our families and communities. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We pray for our friends, for Chris, Ken, Adrienne and Hugh, Eric, Les, Dot, Margaret and Bob, Peter, Jesse, Dennis and Shirley, Mary, Jay, Terry, Naomi, Thelma, Nigel, Lynn, Graham, Lauren and Lewis, Gail, Andy, Graham and Jill, Ron Mercer's family. We offer these prayers to you, Lord, in the name of Jesus, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, for ever and ever. Amen. We say the canticle together. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now go forth into the world in peace. Be of good courage. Hold fast to that which is good. Render to no one evil for evil. Strengthen the faint-hearted. Support the weak. Help the afflicted. Honour all people. Love and serve the Lord, rejoicing in the power of the Holy Spirit. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit, rest upon you and remain with you always. Amen. Amen.